Hello and welcome to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 for Wednesday, September 25th. My name is Megan. This is CITR 101.9 FM. Uh, It may also be CITR.ca, depending on how technologically sound your surroundings are. And you're listening to the Arts Report. It is Wednesday. It's about 6 after 5, so it's that time. And we are going to do a little bit of reviewing and a little bit of interviewing today. Um, You can look forward around 5.30 to talking to Dennis E. Bolin uh, of Anticipated Results, Plunk, Kasplat, Kasploit, Kasploit, and uh, his new and first book of poetry, uh, Black Liquor. But we are going to start with a few reviews um, from some things that I saw lately. Uh, and I do apologize in advance. I believe you can hear my cold. Um, so that's just another thing that we're sharing together today. Um, so there's a couple of really fun stuff happening um this weekend um for example the vancouver improv festival started yesterday um so you can you should be checking that out for sure and on thursday we actually have uh the vancouver international film festival happening and i saw oh so far i've seen a a couple of films and one of the ones that i saw the other day was oil sand karaoke and here is a little taste of the trailer About to get a whole lot more interesting. We've got a karaoke contest kicking off this week. Sands Karaoke is a bit of a different take on what's happening up in Fort McMurray. Um, it is about a cast of five or six characters um, interviewed uh, by the filmmakers Charles Wilkinson. Work together and really make this place a better place. But uh, a lot of what they do say about Fort McMurray, the oil sands, is bullshit. Do And it includes a barmaid, a couple of heavy uh, heavy equipment operators, male and female. Uh, you just heard uh, a song from one of the most interesting characters who is a someone who works with the Aboriginal community, getting them work, and is also their, I believe, only drag queen. Um, and it is uh, an interesting take. It's not inherently a political film. The, polit- the politics rather come through how these residents speak about their home. Uh, you know, there's a lot of 
back and forth about the correctness, the environmental, political, envirom- um, economic correctness of, of what's going on in Fort McMurray, Alberta, and uh, the gateway to the oil sands. But um, these this is more about what it's like to live there for them. And a lot of the people, their response is quite defensive, um, as one would expect, because this is their home and their work. And a lot of them were actually driven to pick up jobs here, um, either from economic circumstances, educational circumstances, they're trying to put their lives back together, and they're rationalizing the work they do. Um, But what's really interesting is how they kind of all come together around karaoke, and a lot of it's country, and a lot of it's old soul blues, and uh, not a lot of Robin Thicke, thank goodness. But uh, it's a it's a cute film, and it is going to be playing at the International Village on October 4th, uh, at Van City October 6th, and at SFU at October 11th. So um, the, the film is uh, going to get you a little heated and probably a little riled if you are really um, sternly and staunchly uh, anti-oil sands, but um, uh, because you, you want to argue with these characters, and of course you can't, but uh, it is something um, that really brings a human light. Whether one wants a human light shed on Fort McMurray with the devastation that it's causing, well, that's up to you, the viewer. Um, but these characters, these people are uh, quite varied, and I think it's something to check out and learn a little bit more about what's actually happening up there to inform uh, your political opinions. You have a little local color. So uh, Vancouver International Film Festival starts Thursday, that's tomorrow, and runs through the 11th. And we will have reviews uh, on CITR.ca via Twitter, and uh, Sarah Lapsley, Lapsley will be bringing you a bunch of reviews on October 2nd, and I'll be back on October 9th. To, uh, to tell you a little bit more. So please go and check that out uh, in venues all over the city. Another event uh, that's going on right now that uh, officially opens tonight, and I checked out the preview of last night, is You Should Have Stayed Home at the Fire Hall Arts Center. It's running from uh, last night until the 5th, um, and there is um, a matinee on next Wednesday. And there's going to be a talkback panel with the BC Civil Liberties Association now on Thursday, October 3rd. Now, the reason the BC Civil Liberties Association is uh, coming to town on this one is that this is all about G20. Uh, in 2010, Tommy Taylor was arrested and detained, um, but never charged. Um, he was, however, kept for over 24 hours, uh, handcuffed with very little food, water, and no privacy in what was essentially and literally a cage uh, in a giant storeroom just for being near the protests. He talks about what it was like to be a part of the protests and eventually detained for much longer than he actually participated in what was actually his first piece of political action. And he talks about what it was like to see all the violence on the news and that's why people told him you should have stayed home it's a it's a really important story to hear Uh, i really enjoyed hearing it from the inside and it is heart-wrenching to think about he wears a t-shirt that he wore that day with a maple leaf and the word freedom Uh, it's a little more ironic for him now but one of the things that i wasn't very excited about was while his story was excellent the and the staging interesting with parts of the story actually populated on stage by 
very tired and weary looking uh quote-unquote protesters that filled filled the space um it isn't necessarily a particularly emotional telling um i went with a a friend of mine and we kind of talked after about how interesting the story was and how important it was for people to see it and how we wished we had had more emotional resonance with what was happening it it has uh, going to be moving, uh, started in Whitehorse and it's going to be moving towards Ontario. And I hear the scuttlebutt that they want MP, MPs to participate as part of the volunteer cage dwellers. You can actually be a volunteer cage dweller as well um, if you want to contact the, the fire hall. But um, you can, so you can be part of the show as well as watching it. But um, I was a little disappointed, as I said, um, Praxis Theatre in association with the original region, um, is producing it. And uh, they're, they're a very creative and uh, political entity. And I was a little disappointed with um, how the actual telling of it went. But I do recommend seeing it. Um, and I think it would be very interesting to be part of the show itself. The only thing is that if you do want to do that, um, you don't actually get to see most of the show. Um, but you will get in free. Um, you can join Tommy in jail, so to speak. So you can... Uh, Email participate at praxistheater.com if you want to learn more. And um, this is something that you can check out, uh, as I said, through October 5th. Um, so do check it out. Just don't expect any uh, emotional or theatrical fireworks. This is all about Tommy telling his story in a very pleasant um, and straightforward way. Um I mean, he did keep repeating how peaceful the protests and were, and and actually how no, very few people who were arrested were actually doing anything. There were people off the street, people going home from work, um, people were still in their uniforms, and they weren't given any type of uh, legal or emotional or even physical support while we, they were in these cages. They didn't know where they were, they didn't know when they were getting out, and. Um, Tommy goes on to become kind of a, a poster boy for the G20 protests, showing up at press conferences and um, actually proposing to his girlfriend uh, at a rally a year later. So, uh, as I said, interesting personality, interesting story, but uh, not not a lot of fireworks in the actual telling. So, uh, if you're looking for a laid-back political experience, this is definitely one for you. And um, one thing that really struck with me when he was talking to the guards about why this was happening they said this is what happens when you make us arrest over a thousand people um so think on that next time uh you are looking to the police to protect you uh, another thing that actually stood out for me as well was he kept coming back to how the um the indigenous peoples uh, did not seem surprised much and i think that's another thing to question uh, look at your privilege. Uh, a lot of people were really shocked and dismayed the cops were doing this, but uh, people, a lot of people out there who are used to being oppressed by the police, and they were not surprised that this was happening to them. So um, check that out September 24th to October 5th uh, at the Fire Hall Arts Center. And uh, I'm going to play a quick PSA and we are going to be back with a uh, kind of a more extended review of The Dilettantes by Michael Hinston. Um, it is his first novel. He is the book's columnist for the Edmonton Journal um, and uh, he and I actually overlapped at SFU at the peak which is what this novel is all about. Um, and if you can't wait the two and a half minutes it's going to take for me to get to it you can check out citr.ca and there is a Q&A 
uh, with this author. So please stay tuned to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. CITR is proud to sponsor the Vancouver International Film Festival showing of Bill Morrison's film The Great Flood, weaving together compelling archival footage of the Great Mississippi Flood of 1927, complemented by an original score by Bill Frissell. That flood led to an exodus of sharecroppers all heading north. The result? Chicago blues, rhythm and blues, and ultimately rock and roll. For showtimes and information, visit vif.org. My name is David Scott. I play wide receiver for the University of British Columbia football team, and I'm here to discuss the Be More Than a Bystander program. Myself and a few other players were lucky enough to work alongside the BC Lions and EVA, the Ending Violence Association, to support this cause. The main goal of the Be More Than a Bystander initiative is to increase awareness of domestic violence against women. For more information on the cause, please visit endingviolence.org. Welcome back to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. The Dilettantes is a 21st century campus novel about, um, well, a, a very specific campus, SFU to be exact, and The Peak to be even more exact. And actually, this really notes one of the most unique things about this novel, this first novel by Michael Hingston, is that everything... Even down to some of the character names, though they are amalgamations, and the conversations and the anecdotes are real. He figured, why bother spending the time hiding it when the actual truth is so interesting? And uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to tell you a little bit about the novel and about what I thought about it, and we're going to listen to a few songs um, that are mentioned in the in the novel, um, all very nostalgic um, let's start with a little Wu-Tang just to, like, kick it off. I mean, it's not a very gangster novel, but uh, it's definitely of the era. Michael Hingston started writing this at the end of his university career around 2008. And uh took him about three years, he said, writing, you know, 150, 100 words a day, every day, as best as he could. Um, and he said that uh, he, at the end of the novel, you get a little Edmonton, 2008 to 2011, which was a shout-out to Latin American artists, which he very much loves, um, and their writing. Um, now, The Dilettantes is a campus novel, and if you're not familiar with what that is... It's it's a novel about a campus. Um, I don't really have to lead you too far down the path on that one. This one is specifically about a new campus newspaper, which Michael Hingston said that you know he he hadn't really seen happen before, um, and he wanted to write what you know. I mean that's a a basic tenet, especially for your first novel. There's two main protagonists. There's Alex and Tracy. Alex being uh, the features editor and Tracy being a copy editor. And uh, both of them are 
in what Michael Hingston calls the post-irony generation. Um, everything is ironic, so is anything ironic? It's certainly not earnest. And uh, they are struggling with their last semester of school trying to figure out what to do next. Um, the main struggle uh, throughout the piece is fighting the Metro. I think you're all familiar with the Metro magazine and 24 and the free magazines that are out there. And uh, it's slowly cropping up on campus. And they're already worried about the, the lack of attention that the peak is actually... They're already worried about the uh, the lack of attention that the the paper is getting. And so they try to come up with some ideas, um, including budget cuts, that can actually take them into the next level, but or maybe back to their original level. But the lack of enthusiasm, focus, and actual journalism that's going on in the peak uh, is actually not really drawing uh, the right kind of attention. Now, a, a secondary kind of plot point is that... Um, SFU, uh, if you don't already know, has been the site of many, many films, and uh, including um, The Sixth Day, um, Battlestar Galactica, um, television shows, uh, sci-fi especially, Keanu Reeves has been there. I, I mean, I don't know how many of my classes were interrupted um, by renovations and lights and action and cameras. The third protagonist, you might say, is Duncan Holtz, who has decided to come back to school and restart his image as running for school president uh, of the Student Society, or the SFSS. And uh, quite a lot of drama ensues. One of my criticisms is of the uh, novel, even though it deserves all the praise it's gotten for being quite funny, quite unique, and um, teaching a lot about what it's actually like for a certain generation to go for school and not necessarily apologizing for, you know, how us youths are, but rather um, explaining why that is and kind of saying, you know, this generation is as angsty and messed up as any, but now we have Twitter, so you know about it right away and constantly. But one of my criticisms is that a few of the storylines, including this Holtz storyline, this celebrity student, and... Uh, the storyline of Tracy, the female protagonist, kind of they kind of trail off at the end. Uh, the The weakest part of the novel is actually the ending. Um, Alex, uh, like most young men, is struggling with the, his sex life as much as his career and his emotional um, problems. And uh, you know, at the end, it kind of seems, and not to be too flippant about it, but you know, the guy gets well half laid, and uh, and he graduates, and that's kind of it. And Tracy's storyline kind of ends with her starting to get over her boyfriend, which I feel like she's got more going on. She's a she's an attractive, intelligent woman, you know? Um, there's a lot of focus on, on sex uh, and intimacy, be it, you know, friends or otherwise. Um, because as Hingston said um, in a Q&A that I did with him, you know, he had issues with actually connecting with people in a way that was non-intellectual, and hence the binge drinking that happens throughout much of the novel. Um, I can also attest as being a part of the peak and the student society that binge drinking is pretty normal, so uh, definitely true to life there. I mean, the characters, he says, are the angel and devil on any university student's shoulder, and you can try to use post-secondary life as a springboard into full-fledged adulthood, but you, or you can kind of wallow in this liminal space that you're not really ever going to mature in. 
So he's showcasing a lot of his own experiences, and, and again, that really rings true. The other criticism I had is that if you... And I'm not sure whether it would be more or less distracting, depending on whether you actually went to SFU, but the references are rampant. And at first, the specificity is delightful. And then over time, too many proper nouns. I don't, I don't really know how to describe it other than that, but the, the location kind of uh, does distract a little bit from the emotional trajectory of the characters. Um, that being said, especially in a world where Vancouver's never Vancouver and SFU's never SFU, it's nice to have it finally get its due. And it looks a lot different than I was at s- when I was at school and when Michael was at school, so um, you may not even recognize it, even with all these pointers within the book. One of the things that um, I think ultimately the book is about is dilettantism, not just in the arts. Um... If you don't know, uh, and I probably should have started at the beginning, but I'm just wacky like that. Um, A dilettante is, according to uh, Wikipedia, a person who claims an area of interest such as the arts without real commitment or knowledge. Or a person with an amateur interest in the arts. And, I mean, I don't get paid to do this, so am I a dilettante? Well, Michael said um, in my question about the value of dilettantism that um, it actually gets people going. An amateur interest is important. A dilettante isn't necessarily someone who's just casual, but rather, for him, someone who gets power drunk on a tiny amount of expertise, and and rather than pushing through to understand more, because learning puts you, as he says, in a humbling position if you're doing it right, they use it to lecture and embarrass people still standing on the same ground. And So it all comes down to power. Are you learning something for your own enjoyment, or because you want to be seen at the dinner party as someone who quote-unquote knows things? And I mean, dilettante goes beyond arts. He says that eventually, um, really the only person who uses the term dilettante seriously are dilettantes, so it's kind of how you can identify them. And ultimately, within the novel, um, Alex uses it to describe others, placing him kind of in that category, and he's not really actually trying to unravel the politics, arts, or culture of the peak. He's just trying to get by, and he's trying to get by with some sense of belonging and power, and I think we're all trying to do that. So ultimately, he's not uh, dealing with dilettantes, but rather forcing others to deal with him. And he's a dilettante emotionally as well as artistically. Um, So hopefully someday in the future, all three of these characters, Duncan Holtz, Tracy, and Alex, all get to beyond dilettantism. But I asked Michael what actually might be happening for these characters, but he says he'll never tell. So no sequel in the works, unfortunately. So uh, this is... uh, going to be launched in Vancouver. It's already been released to wide acclaim across the country. Number one on the bestsellers list at the Edmonton Journal. Um, not surprisingly. I'm not going to claim nepotism. It totally deserves it. But I mean, they're invested. Um, so it is going to be launching um, in Vancouver on Friday, October 4th at Pulp Fiction. Um, and that is on the Main Street location. That's my hood. Uh, he will be in um, in attendance so you can come There'll be a book signing, there will be cake, and there will be Arizona iced tea with features prominently uh, in Alex's uh, really quirky uh, drinking menu. You'll have to look into that. Uh, Thea Bowering, author of a new collection, Love at Last Sight, um, will be reading as well. And uh, you can also check out uh, booksinthekitchen.tumblr.com or michaelhingston.com to check out his journalism and more about the actual book. Um, 
Michael is a great guy, and um, his warmth and insight really radiates from the book. Um, I just, I just wanna, I just wanna see books that are out about a little bit more about men than them trying to get laid. That's all. I like a little bit more of that, but um, for a first novel, it's it's really, really impressive, and and I very much enjoyed reading it. So um, we actually uh, have a little bit of an overlap here with. Uh, our guest, Dennis Bolin, who we're going to get to in one minute, because he and Michael Hingston, along with uh, Ashley Little, will be co-launching. We're going to talk to him a little bit more about that um, in a minute. I also wanted to make a quick announcement that on Sunday, I will be hosting a panel at 1230 downstairs as part of Word Vancouver. Well, Word Vancouver actually starts today, but... Um, the main event, the big show, is going to be on Sunday, and there's a poetry tent, a magazine tent. There's going to be readings and interviews and signings. My panel is going to be at 12:30, as I said, and it's from page to stage or screen. And I will be talking with Mina Shum, Ian Weir, Dennis Foon, and Aaron Buchowski uh, about their careers, successes, ups and downs, and I will be moderating that panel. And then you're going to go over, because I said so, to the poetry tent at 2:30, and check out. Dennis E. Bolin, uh, reading from Black Liquor. And we are going to talk about that um, after we take a little musical break. In honor of the dilettantes, uh, which you are going to be purchasing October 4th at Pulp Fiction. I already know this. Just, you know, laying it down for you. Um, we are going to listen to the new pornographers. The laws have changed from 2003, something that gets mentioned uh, as part of the dilettantes playlist. And we will return in a few minutes with Dennis E. Bowen of Black Liquor. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Arts Report. See you around the bend.
Hi, I'm Province Entertainment, Colin with Stuart Dardane, and when I'm looking for to find out where the arts are, I go to CITR's Arts Report on Wednesdays from 5 to 6. Welcome back to the Arts Report, and uh, live in studio, Genesee Bowen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Megan. Um, now, I met Dennis after um, reviewing his book, um, with the same level of uh, artistic integrity that I did, Michael's, um, uh, anticipated results, which I very much enjoyed. And what's kind of funny is that it actually does cover a lot of the same things about men falling in love and figure out what they're going to do with their life and drinking a lot. And But, you know, maybe from a little more uh, established, mature um, point of view uh, as a seasoned writer. Um and black liquor actually carries on a lot of those themes. Now, it's his first book of poetry. And black liquor, if you don't know, and now it's defined uh, somewhat factually in the book, um, uh, actually a poem within itself. But black liquor is in industrial chemistry, the craft process when di- digesting pulp wood into paper pulp. Um, it's kind of like the offshoot of it. Um, it's, uh, you can check it out on Wikipedia. It's basically, um, the product of that process, but it's also can refer to, um, rum or, uh, as Dennis points out, bile and or body humor associated with foul temper. Um, it goes from this kind of mini poem slash definition into, um, several sections. Growing up industrial, makes sense. The Great Wander. Federal Parole, 1977 to 2000, Attractions, and Psalm Wheatfield, All Our Wars. And there's a, an autobiographical, biographical content to these poems that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But the uh, w- masculinity from a, a certain class, a certain generation, um, this industrial town, um, is very much present in both the form and function of the poems. Uh, you really get to know, uh, be it Dennis or uh, Dennis's protagonists, um, through the way that they interact with the world and interact with the things that come often crashing down upon them, both emotionally or literally, in uh, the sense of, of one poem. Uh, it happens both at once. And I, and I really much enjoyed it because it has that really solid function that really solid form that i like in poetry i don't i don't like a lot of frufara um but i do like emotional impact Uh, i'm not only about the aesthetics of it um and so we are going to actually talk a little bit about um what it is to write a first book of poetry and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, individual sections but first i thought what we could do um with dennis's leave is he is going to read to us um a poem and we can get a little bit of a sense of what the writing is like before we talk about it which i think is very very important and often not something that we as reviewers get to do um and dennis is actually one of my favorite readers in the city um dennis can you set up what we're going to be hearing no 
Okay, good. That's what I like. <clears throat> so, um, a poem is a is a concentrated, highly crafted, carefully uh, sculpted expression of something—a description or a capture of a moment—and uh, it drives me insane. <laughs> When I, 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 I can, I'll sit at poetry readings and hear a so-called poet uh, take five minutes to explain a 30-second a poem. Well, I think uh, that's a setup in and of itself, so I feel satisfied. Um, so this is, um, can you tell us the title? Green Chain Canticle. This is Dennis E. Bowen reading Green Chain Canticle. Out aside the tarmac, under breezeway shingles, huff, shoulder, men to shoulder, those whom fate determines suffer the splinter, bruise of forestry, rash abrasion, ragged cut. Twenty stations haul six grades each, fresh-hewn fir and poison cedar, cast-iron hemlock, lead log vengeful at the affront of being sawn. I scarce had arms until the summer of 73. Wing rough every sodden stick, jagged stacks. Feed the hunter wheel-legged carry machine. Alberni Pacific Division, longest green chain extant still in all the then lumbering world. First shift nightmare by lunch break, drive home barely able to press cl- clutch pedal to foot, and that gnawing knowing before rest could help anything back again to the dreadful wood river, streaming as never to stop, the crush, tensile, authoritative, structural beams, to make lurchmen dream of ease, to fade a summer afternoon, more than a beer after the shift, escape so far, deep from hurtful heat, back crack, fatigue so drunken, horror of Wet two by six, twenty foot heft swarm in sodden stacks. But the grain was clear, and the tooth rig shrieked delight at blade rip into pure tree flesh, effusion of diamond fleck, wet confetti about the world, of us millers deaf to the outside pleasance of poised time, champagne with fish row, mountain view, and sea, pleasing shape to put one's hand to. We are, with callous and leather apron, rosin soles amid true boards traveling. Barred by endless log cabinetry, forgotten indented truck, mortgaged sport coupe, who through dullness perpetuate the exiled mind leaked youth and financed future, 4 p.m. pickup tailgate, parking lot, tank car drink, littered ditch glass, lakeside roadway side glitter to commemorate passenger girlfriend of the millionth dropout conscript whose thick dirty digits in a yearn dizzy sneak beneath feminine waistband and by shortness of sight nightly swear lifelong fealty to the chain. Running for the builders, proud constructors, hammerists, conveyor, mother, mechanical. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Dennis.
Um, in that some of the some of the themes that I kind of picked up on from the collection in general, um, <clears throat> as I've already said, masculinity, industrial living, um, responsibility was something that um, came up um, for me, as well as um, the way that you use white space and um, connective or lack thereof language. Um, that, that, that's a real fun part for a person who's done nothing but crank out either uh, fiction books, mm-hmm. books full of fiction, seven of them, uh, and or um, literary journalism for mm-hmm. like 30 years I've, I've done. Uh, being able to put one word in the middle of a page mm-hmm. <laughs> or even just in the middle of a page, just have a paragraph that's one word in the middle, you know, mm-hmm. with all that lovely white space around it. Oh, God. It's just fantastic. So soothing. <laughs> well, now a few of these poems have been published in previous years, but this is your first book of poetry. Um, were you were you working up to this? What was the impetus to kind of put this collection together? Actually, it's all your fault, Megan. Oh, it always is. Damn it! <laughs> what did I do this time? Well, about two and a half years ago, you were doing a quite interesting uh, review of anticipated results you've already mentioned it it's my uh, short uh, short fiction collection mm-hmm. about uh, oh myself and a bunch of my friends very very thinly disguised i love it I, re- I i recommend it to a lot of friends and especially men in my life of a certain age ah very, very <laughs> good indeed yes well uh you were describing the opening where where i, I described or the, the the scene is a uh, a car accident and uh, at, at one point you said something to to the tune of and here is where he gets all poetic. <laughs> I'm so eloquent. <laughs> and that knocked me off my chair. I thought, what? Megan thinks that this is... <laughs> that this, and so I started reading my, my prose and, and realized, you know, it's been years. I, I've, been, I've been cooking it down and, and working it up and uh, rendering and rendering. And really, yes, of course. I was, I was always moving towards poetry. And... It's. It was such a liberating feeling. Like as I said, uh, putting a like a single word in one big big white space. It's a liberating feeling to realize. Wait, wait a minute. I, I have nothing to prove to anybody. I can uh, crank out a, a book of uh, these little snapshots. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm quite proud of the Green Chain Canticle because it sort of encapsulates a lot of the, the themes of the book. The, mm-hmm. the, and the and the and and what I want to do with this. What I want to do with all my writing, which is to open up a world to my readers that uh, <clears throat> that they may they may not otherwise see. Well, you know, having just reviewed Hingston's first novel, um, and this is something I call first novel syndrome, um, and it's kind of the opposite, is where you're supposed to write what you know, and you have all these ideas, um, and you try to put them all into one book. And I mean, as someone who is not a writer by trade, fair enough, because who knows if you're going to get to write another one. But I find that... As your work has gone on, and this is kind of, I think, part of that is you are, you're kind of separating the wheat from the chaff and, and, and as you said, boiling it down so you do get this thicker, stronger language. Um, and I'm wondering if, if that's something that has been a difficult process for you, or is it a more natural process? Well, uh, you know, I'm, as I mentioned, I, I, I realized, unbeknownst to my own self, that I was actually moving towards a lyrical, a more, a far more lyrical uh, form of expression. 
and uh, I, I got to a certain age. I got past 50. I know just looking at me, it's, it's hard to believe that I am past 50, but <laughs> I began to realize that uh, even though my memory had been sharp earlier on, I was, a part of, I was starting to uh, lose the capacity to remember absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing it all down, and I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll just start uh, journalizing what I can remember. So I started uh, writing down uh, scenes of my childhood uh, in my novelistic sort of style. Uh, and it took me pages and pages and pages to describe one little thing. And I realized, my goodness me, I don't have enough years left to write the whole damn story that I can remember. There are the, the, uh, even just, just the relevant events, which aren't, you know, isn't everything. But uh, I found that the poetic form is a far more efficient way of writing one's own autobiography. Well, that was going to be my next question is, um, it, it's, I would assume, and from the, from the writing and from what I know about you and from your, your previous work, um, it's autobiographical nature. Um, is that consistent throughout? Um, or are there, is it something that's mixed? Yes. I mean, uh, th- there, will, there will be very, very few things I could write that do, that do not in some direct way uh, relate to my own life. Um, the, the novel you mentioned, Caspoit, uh, which is an onomatopoeia that I invented to uh, approximate the sound of a beer can opening. Uh, That was my my, uh, attempt to bring the missing women case to more sort of popular uh, prominence in terms of like starting the the discussion. Um, It it actually got quite a few good reviews of people who were were, uh, confounded by saying, oh my goodness, he's written a a book about the... um, the, the pig farm and the missing women and these gangsters and the police who weren't doing a very good job. And uh, it's all a huge poem. It's, it's a 300-page uh, dialogue. Uh, it's 99% dialogue, and, it, and the only narrative parts of it are uh, these odd little uh, uh, hybrid words that I've invented, uh, much like Kaspoit, uh, to, to, to suggest what, what the... the um, the uh, action is. Uh, I realize now this was a that novel came out in '09. I realize now that was also uh, my moving towards a more poetic lyrical uh, expression. Some of the words that stand out from the poetic definition you have at the beginning of the book as a physical object um, are are interesting to me. So some of the ones were um, breakdown, toxic, high alcohol. And foul humor, but also um, organic, renewable, and uh, there was another one as well. Um, renewable, yeah. So those kind of coming together of contradictions, um, especially within a certain area of life, a certain small town, because you start the whole piece off before you actually start talking about your childhood you kind of you have this poem called everybody and it sets um this this scene of growing up industrial so before we get to learn about the kind of incidents and what those reflect and represent for you you get to know what everybody knew about the men and uh culture of i guess your hometown or can you talk a little bit about um Everybody knew somebody, age of battered pickup, cigarette load, ashtray butt, <laughs> that, is the first three lines. I, um, 
I searched, I uh, cast about in the collection for the strongest piece or the most indicative piece. This may not be the strongest piece, but I'll tell you, it's the most angry piece. <laughs> and uh, I, I try not to let my, uh, you know, that inner angst. I mean, I'm, I'm not an angry young man anymore. I'm somewhat <clears throat> of a grumpy older middle-aged guy (laughs) but I still uh, this poem everybody um, which the central image is of a of a uh, toddler sitting on a uh, pickup truck seat and in those days it was not unusual to hear of a child flying through a windshield of a car because of not being uh, restrained, uh, I, I have those that kind of imagery. Because to me, um, the ridiculousness of the times, <clears throat> the um, casual acceptance of uh, of uh, uh, fatal casualty, uh, can, still confounds me to this day. I mean, I, I was a child in in those times, and I suppose what I'm saying is that yes, I survived it, mm-hmm. but I, it 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 ticked it ticks me off. Even to this day, to think of the res- of the stupid stuff that went on, right? Mm-hmm. And and this and of course, growing up in a in a very industrial town, I, I was in. Uh, I spent my teenage in Port Alberni, BC, and uh, and I, I was born actually in Comox and grew up in Courtney, which is also a, a quite an industrial town. Not quite so much, but uh, you know, I was surrounded by a lot of people who dropped out of high school and decided that they would just hew wood and draw water for a living and I never felt part of it and so this is my this is my stepping away from it and looking back and being somewhat vitriolic about Mm -hmm. it Uh, perhaps even a little bit more than I'm comfortable with now but that's just uh, what came out I I do have a a, a great appreciation and, and reverence for those who work physically and can do it all their lives and Mm -hmm. and enjoy it because of course it needs to be done it has to be done but black liquor by the way is a uh i'm glad you 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 pointed out this sort of negatives and the positives Mm -hmm. the positives are that uh the the byproduct of the uh, craft breakdown the breakdown of wood fiber cellulose fibers into um pulp which from which they make paper um is is a flammable Product. It's actually it's a hydrocarbon, a form of hydrocarbon, and the mills use it to power their their machines. They mm-hmm. they use it to to create steam and power the machines, etc. And uh, the stuffs ha- has been known to to explode. It's dangerous. So it's useful, but it's dangerous. It's useless, but useful, but it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. I have a short poem about that. Mm-hmm. It's in, it's in in one of my suite of industrial accident poems. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Another poem I, I really liked, and I, I like talking about them specifically, um, is the aria of Jack. Oh, you like that? I did like that, mm-hmm. and I think it was because, um, and hopefully I've read it right, but the the image of this image of the contradiction between who Jack is in this poem and and the type of man he represents, but also um, the way that this has kind of connected you to art through this high art 
Can you is this is this an actual experience that that occurred, or is it is it more um, representative or amalgamation? Very, there's very little composite I, I've used, and I, I find poetry really demands that you that you get specific, more but, more clear. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that, that, that that's why I've, I've named one poem, you know, Port Alberni Black Liquor, and mm-hmm. I, I named another poem, Vancouver Black Liquor. Mm-hmm. Um, the area of Jack is um, my uh, pain to uh, the wonderful high school teachers that I was fortunate to to run into, fortunate enough to run into during the 1960s and 70s. There's a lot about, a lot about teachers yeah. in, in, in this collection. I, I, they were my salvation. I mean, I, I, I didn't like being surrounded by industry, but going to school, I could get exposed to this wonder. Like a lot of people uh, were getting jobs wherever they could get, get jobs. This was, uh, this was the era of the mid to late 60s and early 70s. And of course, there was a huge influx uh, in Canada of American uh, academics who didn't want to deal with Vietnam, so they came here. And so our uh, cultural, educational uh, environment was greatly enriched. And we also had uh, uh, people from other countries, uh, French teachers from actually from France. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it undermines the idea that just because you're in a small town, an industrial small town, uh-huh. that, you know, you're going to be uneducated sure. hicks. Yeah. Jack was uh, a, an Italian uh, Englishman. He, was, he grew up in England, but he was Italian. <laughs> and he could sing opera. And he, he could also tear down uh, V8 engines, you know. It, it, I, I just loved that. Mm-hmm. I, I just loved the, the, the fact that, that, that he could do this. And so I, I had to write a poem about it. <laughs> Well, that actually um, brings me to another of my favorites. Um, and this is in a section um, talking about unexpected combinations of work and art. So you were a federal parole officer, 1977 to 2000? I've taken those dates out, actually. You, you have an earlier version Do of, I? of the thing. I've taken those dates out because that's a little too specific. Okay. So sometime in the you know last... 40 years, yeah. Well, that's what happens when there aren't review (laughs) copies available. Um, And you're working from PDF. But um, the Federal Parole Officer section, and and you've mentioned this poem already, Vancouver Black Liquor, about your interaction with a particular parolee and the cops. And, you know, your place kind of on this continuum rather than uh, between criminal activity and quote-unquote justice activity um, and, and kind of how this person that you, you're interacted, this parolee, kind of how he thinks of you and what he wants from you and what you're willing to give him and give the cops. Um, can you talk a little bit about your experiences um, as a parole officer and how they kind of relate to your writing? Because it seems incongruous, but knowing you, it it's not so much. A lot of uh, I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, even people who have read my my novels, I, I read I wrote a, a trilogy of novels about uh, social work and and the environment, the 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 the, crimin, the crime and police and law enforcement environment on the streets of Vancouver through the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. <clears throat> and um, I have this feeling that people don't think I ever went to school and got a creative writing degree. Mm-hmm. I, I have two of them. I, <laughs> I, I have an MFA from this very school. I taught in the in the UBC uh, creative writing workshop. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm very much a uh, an artist first and everything else second. Mm-hmm. But I did do uh, correctional work on the streets of Vancouver for many years, and I loved it. It was the perfect 
challenge to my creativity and my endurance for unpleasantness and for uh, and my, my yearning for potential. Any artist looks at the world and thinks, what can I make of this? Mm-hmm. I would look at one of my uh, cases walk in and talk to them and read their file and think to myself, what can I do for him or mm-hmm. her? And well, this in this poem, mm. he says, you're one of the good ones, he well, says. Yeah. Because I bet, I'm sure a lot of correctional <laughs> workers don't take that approach. I used to have uh, fellows go to jail after they were with me for whatever reason. And and when they were coming back out again, request me. <laughs> <laughs> now, was this because you were, were you, was this an attitude thing? Were you easier on them? I made uh, uh, my first effort uh, upon meeting them or anybody is to present raw, pure humanity. Mm -hmm. In the position I was in, highly bureaucratic, and I had an amazing amount of um, uh, authority, like legal authority over their lives, etc. To me, the most important thing in in, in a relationship like that, where you're going to be with this person as they try to adjust to to outside life, to freedom, and to developing their lives and, and taking care of themselves is to present a human face. So it was actually, in that sense, my industrial upbringing and the things that I did and saw, uh, you know, on Vancouver Island all those years uh, helped me out. It helped, it, helped, uh, it helped me relate to a wide range of uh, individuals. So I would always, very first time, uh, just, just have a good talk and, and relate as a human being, you know. Um. Well, it's interesting. I just want to bring it back around because I love doing that um, to this Oil Sands movie that's that's playing it, at, which is also showing the human side. Um, it's not really making an argument for or against the existence of Fort McMurray, but rather it exists. People live there. They live their lives there. They're raising their children it there. It must be an extreme experience. I mean, uh, Fort McMurray is an industrial town on crack, basically, mm-hmm. literally and figuratively. It's mm-hmm. like the drug problems must be amazing because everyone has tons of ca- cash. And, not, and, and there's, n- there's har- not, no culture. To, to, to do. There's hardly any. Uh, well, karaoke. Yeah, yeah. there's karaoke. There's lots of drinking, I'm sure. Uh, it, from what I understand, it's it, it's a almost a full-time job finding and keeping a place to live mm-hmm. so it, there, there's extreme elements to it that must really be f- uh you know creating uh, amazing situations for people human situations and um, we're almost out of time but i wanted to um give you an opportunity to kind of remind us about what's coming up for you next um i know you have something coming up with Michael Hingston well, uh, with Word. Michael and Ashley Little, who's written a, a, a novel about an, an all-girl female street gang in, in Vancouver. We're all going to, the three of us are going to be launching our books in Toronto at uh, the Type Bookstore out on Queen Street West, if anybody's going to be out there, on the 12th of October. And then the next night, we, we all three of us are, were playing a date in a, um, at a restaurant bistro kind of place where there usually is music but we're going to interfere with our our spoken word stuff (laughs) so that's our toronto thing Uh, my official launch for this book is on november the 5th at the uh, cottage bistro um, on main street and that'll be the caitlin press launch for the fall season and i'm at word uh 
doing you already mentioned uh, I'm mm-hmm. at the poetry tent I'm also on a panel uh, talking about the early days of subterrain magazine which mm. is a very important thing so I'm very busy that day and then the next day actually the very next day the Monday afternoon at six o'clock uh, a, a San Francisco poet named Lipschitz is going to be reading at Hogan's Alley he and I will be co-featuring for that so I'll be there if you can't see me at word then you can come to a uh, Hogan's Alley uh, coffee shop, which is at the corner of Prior and <laughs> Prior and Google, <laughs> at the corner of Prior and Google. I think Prior and Gorob. I'm not Gorob. Maybe I don't know. What anyway, time? It's China, China. That's six p.m. Okay. Yeah, six p.m. Do we want to end? Do you have any other um, picks for a reading for us today that we can uh, we can end? Not to give away too much of the content, well, but it... well, well, I did mention <laughs> Port Alberni Black. Mm-hmm. The, the uh, we've the covered Vancouver industry. Black. Yes, we, have. We, we almost more than so is comfortable. What I want to do is um, I want to just uh, play my last of my PSAs, and we'll um, bring ourselves together internally here, and then we are going to come right back with a the reading of Port Alberni Black Liquor and the conclusion of the Arts Report. Please stay tuned, CITR 101.9. This is my life. I I wake up in the morning, I eat, I sleep, I shit. Breakfast with the Browns. So whatever it is, but I never shut it off for five minutes. I can't wait to impress my friends with my astounding knowledge of cool. Join your favorite Brownsters and tune in and listen to the best selection of down-tempo electro-pop lounge core. Strictly Squaresville. Remember. Subtle. Basic. Brown. Breakfast with the Browns. On CITR 101.9 FM. Every Monday morning. From 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. The older I get, the more life starts to make sense, and the less I care. Now we're riding the rainbow, the clouds Witnesses, Art and Canada's Indian Residential Schools. An exhibition featuring artists from across Canada who have directly experienced residential schools or are witnesses to its ongoing impact. Programming will include guided tours, lectures, artist talks, performances, and online programs. From September 6th to December 1st at the Belkin Gallery, Main Mall, UBC. All are welcome. Admission is free. For more information, visit belkin.ubc.ca. And we will actually have some interviews and reviews on that exhibit coming up uh, mid-October. But the time is now, and we are going to hear Port Alberni Black Liquor from Dennessee Bolin on the Arts Report. Backyard engine tinker, Al and me. Clang whirl, clamor town. Up from some cut torch fellows atop craft waste fuel tank. Air punch. Carport fiber rattle glass. Valley range reverb crack and back. Lois on the sun deck. Sounds like the pulp mill. To which Alvin replies, Sure hope not. 
She goes in, but back ten shakes later. So-and-so is dead, and -and so-and-so gone to hospital. The pause that says, We work too near tooth machine all day, stride ice chunk river log, gear wine flywheel and oily chain, jerk steel shutter tire gravel fling. Ignition gases send our dreams aloft. General metal, wax and lube. Yep. Regardless, we tune that baby. Get the belt tight. Set spark. But damn that ping. Dennis, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been my great pleasure. Um, And uh, I definitely recommend hearing him read um, at the Poetry Tent on Vancouver at uh, the Vancouver Public Library um, at the Word Festival on Sunday after you've come and learned about From from the Page to Stage and Screen, um, moderated by myself, uh, featuring Mina Shum, uh, Ian Weir, Dennis Foon, and Aaron Buchowski. Um... Coming up next, uh, if you want more arts, music this time, less literary, um, UBC Arts On Air is back. Ira Nadell is um, going to be, or has, interviewed uh, Nancy Hemiston from the UBC Music Program, talking about voice opera and the worst production she ever saw. Um, So... That will be great. Um, so tune in for that uh, after the Arts Report and every other week after the Arts Report. Um, thank you very much to Dennis E. Bolin, um, Michael Hingston for his time on his Q&A. Um, check out the Vancouver Improv Festival, the Vancouver Film Festival, and Word Vancouver coming up. And we will be back with Sarah Lapsley next Wednesday on CITR at 5 p.m. Thank you again, Dennis. Thank you, Megan. Have a good night, everyone, in Vancouver. Tweets and tunes on CITR Radio 101.9 FM in Vancouver.